0: You are listening to The Political Performance with Casey Bertaki on WNTH 88.1 or The Political Performance, the podcast. Hello, and welcome back to The Political Performance hosted by Casey Bertaki on WNTH 88.1. This is a weekly debate and discussion show covering multiple different national and global political issues. My name is Casey Bertaki, and I'm the host of this show. Each week, I'll have one or two guests on my show to discuss or debate a certain topic. If you're interested in coming on the show, please email me at thepoliticalperformance at gmail.com. While the political performance itself is not a politically biased show, our guests will be sharing their opinions. There are multiple sides to every issue, and the political performance does not endorse your side with any particular views. With that being said, let's get to the show. Today's topic is the Village of Omat's local elections coming up on April 6th. Our guest for today is Joel Kurzman, one of two candidates for village president. Mr. Kurzman, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me, Casey. I'm really pleased to be here.
0: Thanks. Yeah. um, So could you start by telling us a little about yourself and why you are running for village president?
1: Sure. Well, the short version that residents want to know is how long I've lived in the village, and that would be 16 years. I come from San Francisco originally and I moved to Chicago. Well, it's been about almost 25 years, which is hard to believe, but I moved to Chicago in order to get a master's degree from the University of Chicago. I ended up meeting my wife and it's, you know, she's from Buffalo Grove. And so once we decided to put our roots down, we ended up in Wilmette and it's been a wonderful 16 years. Um You know, one thing I'd like to mention about growing up in San Francisco is just what a unique experience that is. And I think it's kind of relevant right now to discussions around diversity and our newfound appreciation for diversity. Probably should have always been there, but I think it's getting more attention now. But growing up in San Francisco, it was a much different place than the tech hub that you might know it as now, Growing up in San Francisco in the '70s and '80s, you know, I was rarely around people who were just like me. It was definitely a melting pot of different people and different cultures, and I feel like that is actually really good experience, good life experience that would help me be make will met a more welcoming place. So that's just a little bit about me. Why am I running for village president? Well there are a lot of reasons but it starts with just having an ethic for public service it's always been something important to me something that i haven't mentioned in my bio so far is that like growing up my parents had a etching of dr martin luther king jr and malcolm x over our fireplace the books on the shelves a lot of them were about the civil rights movement so like for me just the idea of trying to perfect our society and trying to do well by our community through public service. It's just, I guess it's in my blood.
0: Um, All right. So what is your experience so far with local government
1: specifically in Malmette? So I've served on the village board of trustees for four years now, and I've had a really good experience there. I feel like I've been very productive and that's sort of, the track record that I'm running on for this potential next step to serve as village president.
0: Um, Okay. So what, as a village uh, trustee, what would you consider to be some of your biggest accomplishments?
1: Well, that's a great question. I ran four years ago on a platform on four issues, and I feel like I've more than delivered on them. Those issues at the time were pedestrian and vehicular safety, stormwater management, transparency and public engagement, and intergovernmental cooperation. On those four issues, I could point to just a good number of successes. On pedestrian and vehicular safety in particular, that's one that I really try to highlight quite a bit because, and I'm, I would love feedback if at some point in this podcast, you open this up to to um, questions from from other students. But the way I view pedestrian and vehicular safety is so much of the village of Olmette was designed with the car in mind exclusively. And so what we're doing and it's not an easy thing to do is we're retrofitting it to make it more friendly for pedestrians and bicyclists. And I also want it safer for drivers too, by the way, because cars aren't going away. It's just that we want to make the environment easier for a more sustainable way of people getting around. And I do think that not only will our current residents appreciate these changes that we're making, but I think the future home buyers, like folks like yourself, when you come to that point, you know, you'll expect that. If a community doesn't have walkable or bikeable elements, you know, I think people will choose to live somewhere else. So I really view it as a necessary step for the future that we try to make our village more walkable and bikeable. You know, there were some key intersections that we've improved that I think really go a long way in this regard. The Skokie and Hibbard intersection redo, I thought really came out great. I think we also did a great job with the North Bridge, which is more commonly known as the Glenview Road Overpass. That has made it a lot safer for people bicycling into the village, including young kids who are going to Ramona Elementary School. So we've had a number of successes. I want to keep that going. Perhaps you're aware about the active transportation plan that has recently been approved. It's like a blueprint. For how we can make additional changes moving forward, some large, some small, it's a potpourri of different improvements that we can make. But with that, you know, we can continue this process of improving the bikeability and pedestrian elements of our village. Stormwater management, well, I think many of your listeners are aware of and have seen the big digs that have been taking place at first at community playfield and now at Hibbard Park. That neighborhood storage project, I think, is a great result out of literally decades of advocacy to try to improve the stormwater management of the village. And we're finally getting that done. I don't want to keep going on and on because I suspect you have other questions, but I do want to hit on transparency and engagement. Because I do think the same way that you're trying to engage listeners and other students to be politically active, I have really tried my very best to try to engage the community because a lot of folks will look past local government, instead focusing on federal government issues, state government issues. Well, you know, some of our community are some pretty high-flying people. I mean, we have people who are global, you know, renowned people, you know, nationally renowned people, et cetera. So it's easy to overlook the local stuff, but I've tried hard to reach out and make people connect to the local issues. Perhaps you know that I have a community newsletter. Anybody can join it by visiting my website, joelforwilmett.com. And in that newsletter, I share perspective about issues. I seek people's feedback. I publish surveys. And that really helps me stay connected with the community. And so I feel like that was another way in which I followed through on my campaign promises. So of those four issues, I feel like I have a strong track record of delivering on all of them. And that's really the you know, I guess the impetus, the momentum that I have for running for village president.
0: Okay, so my next question was actually about those surveys. Um, so as a village trustee, you put out surveys to Walnut residents asking them about their thoughts about certain issues. What specifically have you asked citizens about and how have they responded?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So some early on when my circulation was, you know, more modest, know i didn't get as much feedback but like one in particular from those early days that i'd like to mention is what are you looking for in your next police chief i think a lot of what's on people's minds when it comes to social issues is around policing and i happen to think we have an excellent police force so none of this is to suggest otherwise but when we did have an opportunity when our police chief retired and we were going to hire a new police chief You know, I asked the community, what what are you looking for? And I'm thinking about how many communities across the country in recent times would wish that their elected officials would ask. And so, you know, this was well before, by the way, high profile events like the murder of George Floyd. But, you know, I also saw that, you know, I didn't really need high profile events to know the importance of some of these topics and the need for community engagement. I've also asked folks their opinion on matters ranging from gun safety to their opinions about the ordinances on minimum wage and earned sick leave. Perhaps a couple of years ago, you may have followed that issue locally. I've asked folks their opinion about recreational cannabis. I've asked people their opinion about economic development issues, stuff like that. So uh, pretty wide ranging topics.
0: OK, so. Um, How do you plan to support local businesses in Wilmette as president?
1: Important question. They certainly have been taking a hit due to the pandemic. So I wonder if you are familiar with our sales tax rebate program. Um, It is an offering that we created. It was like a lifeline until state and federal resources could come in to support businesses that were challenged by the pandemic. Those programs are actually still ongoing, excuse me, and I continue to support those programs. But one of the key issues that I'm running on, I guess you could call it an area of emphasis for my would-be village presidency, is around economic development. I really don't think we've turned over every leaf or every stone, I should say, to drive people To our businesses both at downtown and in some of our more neighborhood commercial districts. And so the example that I always use is visitors to our lakefront. If you go to Gilson on a weekend during the summer, I really feel like we have not made a full effort to engage those visitors to come visit either downtown or Plaza Del Lago or Fourth and Linden. The same would be true of the Baha'i Temple I mean, what a magnificent thing we have in our community. We have visitors coming from far and wide, and I don't think that we convert folks into visitors. I also think that would help with improving the diversity of our community. The more people that spend time in our community, I think they'll want to stay here. But back to economic development, I also think that we need to try harder in terms of recruiting some minority-owned businesses. I feel like that would... It's just a win-win-win proposition where you can create more stakeholding and sense of belonging for more people, um, as well as growing our our business base. So I do think that from a business perspective, you know we can drive more people to our businesses. Oh, I almost overlooked one and one thing, and I I'd like to share, and that is we are the only municipality in the area that is not a member of the North Shore Convention and Visitors Bureau. So that would be a regional effort that brings all sorts of either promotion to or literally brings customers to uh, businesses and we have not taken advantage of that. So I think we may wanna rethink that. And so again, it's about, in my opinion, a real opportunity to be able to bring people to Wilmette. One of the other benefits to that is that would relieve the pressure to kind of build up. Like some people have expressed to me concern about how our downtown is starting to look and feel and lose some of its small town feel. I'm sure there's a, a, you know quite a bit of varied opinion on that, but I think there is some amount of pressure in the past to have as much density as possible to support downtown business. Well, having outsiders come in and enjoy is another way, and it would alleviate the pressure to have to build up, which has been on people's minds. So those are some of the areas in which I think I can, you know, my agenda would be helpful to the business community.
0: Okay, so what are some of the most important concerns you have regarding the budget And how do you plan to address those concerns while in office?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, because that is one of the foremost responsibilities of the village board. And I have to give some credit to our current president for his work on the budget and staff. I mean, really, staff does yeoman's work, and they've put us in a great position to withstand the challenges of the pandemic. But you may know that we have, you know, ample reserves, and that is for some people surprising to hear. Um, you need to have some amount of reserves. You need these. You would aspire to have thirty percent of your operating uh, budget in reserves because that allows you to borrow for large infrastructure projects, for example, with at your very best rates. You have a AAA bond rating, and so you certainly want to have 30%, but right now we are finding ourselves above 30%, um, close to 40%. And that has come in handy of late because you know our revenues have tanked during the, the pandemic. But even so, we do have ourselves probably more reserves. And so I think it'll be a key issue for uh, the future board, uh, whoever is on it, um, you know, to you know, understand whether or not, you know, we need to either try to find a way to get that back to the taxpayer or to invest it in some way that re- residents would appreciate um, because it's a little more reserved than I think um, most people would think necessary. But by and large, I want to paint a picture that our budget is in strong shape despite the situation with the pandemic. Um, we have had I think an excellent budgeting process throughout the pandemic this has really amounted to a monthly review in which we can make decisions on the fly on a monthly basis about service reductions that we can make that would help keep the budget um, close to in check and we haven't had to utilize some of those budget cuts service reductions but they've always been available to us on a monthly basis and so it's as close as you can get to like real-time budgeting. And I really need to tip my cap to the staff for being able to make that a possibility. So the budget's doing pretty well. Um, and I'm hoping that's what you were getting at, but I figure if you had a follow-up, I would welcome it.
0: Um, yeah, I think you pretty much touched on everything I was wondering. Um, okay, so my next question is, how do you plan to support well-met residents in the wake of the COVID-19
1: pandemic? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it starts with understanding what is the well-being of our residents. And so first and foremost, what's on people's minds is vaccination, right? I mean, I, I think that is what most people are thinking about because that's the, the stepping stone to trying to have a normal, normal life again. And again, I got to tip my cap, you know, it's not been an easy thing. It's not happened fast enough, but our village staff has really done some pretty, pretty amazing things in terms of, especially the, you know, the the pilot program that is vaccinating people at New Trier, the West Campus. And, you know, I think that's pretty exciting, but the other measure that we have to track and is around the financial well-being of our residents. And so it was shortly into the pandemic, I reached out to staff and said, do we know what the unemployment rate is for Wilmette residents? And, you know, the answer was, no, we don't. And I'm like, well, let's, let's track it. I mean, it'll at least give us a metric to understand how people are doing. And what we found is when the pandemic started, we had this amazingly low unemployment rate of 2%. And then, you know, at its worst, it spiked to just above 10%. And, you know, by comparison to some parts of the area of Chicago or even nationally, that's not so bad. But, like, you know, if you think about it, that's a five times spike over the normal unemployment rate. So we're hovering at around 7% now. So clearly, you know, we have a ways to go to get back to our our residents being in the same strong financial footing that they may have been um, before the, the pandemic. I think the other area of well-being that is on people's minds as far as the village goes is, well, we used to have a health department, a village health department, and a village board of health. Those were eliminated in various times of budget austerity. And I do wonder if, and some residents are speaking about it because what we have found is we are not in the same position to vaccinate the same way that Skokie and Evanston and Oak Park are because they have health departments that are state certified. So I think people, some people are articulating that, wow, I wish we had those capabilities back in the village. So when it comes to well being, when it comes to health, you know, I guess a question before us is can the village play a role? In people's health, or will we continue to fall under the guidance of the Cook County Department of Health? So those are some decisions for us, and I think that lands in the in the area that you are asking about community well-being.
0: So, as a follow-up to that, do you do you want to implement a Department of Health for the Village of Wilmette?
1: So I feel like more information is needed like my knee jerk reaction is yes, but I think, you know, we have to do a little bit of study on it. I want to know what went into some of the decisions to remove them. And I do think I have part of the answer because when I was first getting involved in village politics, what I kept hearing from the village board at the time was the village should only offer services that no other unit of government can provide meaning like if Cook County does this or if you can get something from the state, you know, why shouldn't the village be duplicative? So that was the mindset at the time. I think we need to, you know, understand what sentiment is. And certainly I hear some of it as a candidate for office, but you know, I don't hear it widely enough. So I would need to understand what people's perspective is on that. Now, the other piece is simply running the numbers in terms of adding staff, at Village Hall versus what the outcomes would be. How would people's lives be improved? The other question might be is, if we don't have the economy of scale to make that work, well, maybe we can work with other municipalities and share something more on a regional basis. So then you would have to go through that process in other communities too. And then maybe you reach a threshold where it makes financial sense. And even if there's some amount of would-be duplication, Maybe it's just a quality of life thing that our residents demand. So I'm open to it, but I don't think I have the information I need to make a definitive statement that would be part of, for example, a campaign platform.
0: Okay. Um, so now on to sustainability. Um, I know that sustainability is a big issue for you. And I saw on your website that you are actually a sustainable garden. Could you tell us a little about that? and how you plan to translate that mindset to when you are in office if you're elected and how to make Wilmette more eco-friendly.
1: Yeah, thank you. I put this in the same category as when I was speaking earlier about pedestrian and vehicular safety, how future home buyers will demand it. I think the same will be said about young home buyers wanting to be a part of a community that puts its best foot forward on matters of sustainability. So, but you mentioned about my own gardening. Well, I appreciate you checking out the video. Um, so this year, my my garden was and Allison's, you know, I can't leave leave her out of it. She does a phenomenal job. But together, our gardens were included on Go Green Wool Met's Sustainable Yards Tour. And this year, of course, was very different due to the pandemic. So, whereas normally you would have like hundreds of people biking through or driving up to and visiting the garden we only had a few visitors but what they did instead was they filmed the the yards and de- and described in the video what the sustainable elements were so um so for your listeners uh you know you mentioned that on my website you can see a video of of where how we hosted um go green Will net in our yard I think it really started, it probably started with, you know, concerns around stormwater management and needing to have native plants that can absorb a lot of water. That was how my approach was in my first home in Wilmette. I've since moved and in my current backyard, it's not so much a matter of stormwater, um, but more a matter of just personal passion. I love native plants and, you know, I just, I, it, In the peak of summer, when the garden is absolutely on fire, it is just such a pleasure to see. And tucked in there, I have composting where, you know, all, um, you know, food scraps from the home and coffee grounds, of which I create quite a bit of coffee grounds, especially in campaign season. So I do composting out there as well. And then, you know, I certainly have um, what I try to make a friendly bird habitat. I have bird feeders where I have, typically up to four foods you know available and uh, i really am quite an avid backyard bird watcher in addition to uh, going out on birding trips in in the community so those are some of the things that we do at at home oh the other sustainable element that i'd like to mention just in terms of, of of watering is the use of soaker hoses so you know we're not just using hoses and spraying you know, this is at the ground level where water goes in deep. And you know, the thing about native plants with really deep roots is the water gets down, and you also avoid evaporation. So watering during the the you know the dog days of summer, it's nice to get that water down in the soil and not evaporate. But in terms of taking that sort of mindset and bringing it to the village, one of the key accomplishments I feel really good about is how Wilmette will be a real leader. Um, in this effort when it comes to having hybrid police vehicles. This was a direct result of advocacy on my part. And you know what? It was so early in my, in my uh, you know, serving as village trustee, it was one of those first meetings in fact, you know, and it started with a simple question. And so, you know, I just, for anyone who's like looking to make a difference, you know, just ask the simple questions. So we were in a meeting around what we call the CIP, the capital improvement program. It's like a 10-year plan for like purchases of big, you know, either vehicle replacements or big infrastructure upgrades. And so I'm seeing all these vehicles, and we're we'll gonna be buying new vehicles. And I just said, Well, are there any options for lower emissions or zero emissions vehicles? And people looked around and were like, Well, no because we know they cost more and i said well it's what would it take like how much more would we, we would we be willing to pay and so that sort of spurred what they call an roi analysis return on investment you know at what point would paying a little bit more for the hybrid vehicle or a zero zero to low emissions vehicle pay for itself and you know, so for a lot of vehicles, you know, heavy duty stuff that trucks and stuff that, you know, it's not going to happen, but or at least not in the near term. But what did happen fairly soon was we identified that the hybrid police vehicles, they would pay for themselves the extra cost. And so it was really a great, great outcome that we will soon have um, hybrid police cars. So it's just an example of, you know, just some common sense thinking and asking the perhaps dumb question and then, People talking about it and then making it happen. So I do think there's some broader things around sustainability too. We have an environmental and energy commission. I'm sure you're aware of that. But, you know, a lot of what I think the next village president uh, will do will be fielding recommendations from the EEC coming from the greatest, from the greatest, uh, greenest region compact. And some of those recommendations you know, some of them will be ready-made, some not, um, some will be aspirational, but we will have, you know, a blueprint similar to our active transportation plan. We will have a blueprint for uh, improving to the sustainability for our village. I think the difference with me though has been, you know, I don't want to sit around and wait for a big binder in our report. You know, I'm I'm looking for things that we can do right now because I do feel like some of our climate challenges are that acute and, you
0: know we just can't be sitting around waiting okay um I'm gonna okay I'm gonna transition to a few viewer questions before I kind of talk about or before I ask my like final few questions at the end um, sure. so my first listener question is from Julie and Julie wants to know your opinion about possible future renovations at Gilson Park. And a lot of people think that the renovations are necessary. Uh, she wants to know what your opinion is on the issue.
1: Well, it certainly is a, a good question. One of the challenges in answering it is this gets into matters of the Wilmette Park District, which is a separate governmental body from the village of Wilmette. So that's not only an issue that is not under the purview of the village, but I do think that, you know, you have a race of park board people who are really interested in that and who can speak to it a lot more capably than, than me. I don't want to blow off the question, though. So I will just say that Gilson Park is one of the treasures of our village. And while it may be operated under the auspices of the park district, there's no doubt about it that a lot of people's view about Wilmette comes from visiting our lakefront and their experience at Gilson Park can be really fundamental to how they view the village. And so um, I think one would have to approach the issue with really great care and stewardship because um, it's uh, that important. On a personal note, and this goes back to a previous conversation you and I had, is I'm a bird watcher, and I spend a lot of time at Gilson in the next, well, starting in a few weeks when migratory season starts happening. It is an absolute treasure for bird watching, as is the Canal Shores golf course. So I personally spend a lot of time at Gilson and appreciate it both for its lakefront access as well as for its natural elements. So I really appreciate the question. When it comes to the future of, of the of the park and the planning of it, I will have to defer to the Wilmette Park Board.
0: Okay. Um, my next question is from Patrick. And Patrick asks, why didn't you support the stormwater plan initially?
1: <clears throat> oh, wow. Um, so that's a good question good question so on paper yes i voted for a different plan uh, i was the only candidate to support the conveyance option and that was a more expensive but more effective plan so yes technically i did not vote for the current plan but one of the things that you realize as trustee is once it's voted on and it's the it's the plan that's happening you better get on board with it and support it because what Village staff doesn't need is trustees not supporting its work. And Village staff is implementing a plan that my colleagues on the board voted for. And you know what, now I'm on board with it. But yes, I voted for the conveyance option. Just so you know what the difference is, and this gets a little weedy, I do think your listeners can, can, uh, can take it and run with it though, is the conveyance option was, You take all the storm water that's pummeling our village and you get it out of the village as fast as you can. The plan is to get the water to the pumping station at Harms and Lake. And if you've seen that little house that's behind the fence at Harms and Lake, that's the pumping station. It goes into the North Branch of the Chicago River. So you get the water out as fast as you can. The Neighborhood Storage Project is you store the water in reservoirs under the parks and then you slowly release it, so it's a different approach. Um, it's it was measured to be less effective, and it had the of course the implications of now we're digging up our parks, right? So that's something that has caused a lot of concern, and wouldn't have those issues wouldn't have been relevant with the conveyance option because we would have just gotten the water out that. Conveyance option would have disturbed the golf course for, I think, a couple months. And that was that was the extent of what it was going to do to the parks. So now um, with the neighborhood storage project, you know, everyone's upset about, you know, digging up the parks and then what goes back after you restore the parks. You know, I hear talk about concern on things like bathrooms or other types of improvements that the park board is considering. Not and again, not speaking for the parks, but like a lot went into my decision to vote for the conveyance option. But I want people to know that since we made the determination to do the neighborhood storage project, that I'm all in for it.
0: OK, um, so my I have another question from Joel and Joel wants to know. um what uh, your plan is to try to help bring back businesses that were lost during COVID and whether the village can help on those issues, Uh, especially since we're seeing a lot of vacancies in uh, 4th and Linden, Eden's Plaza, where there are like a lot of spaces for rent, but those spaces aren't getting filled.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Well, all of these questions are good. Can I just pause and say that I'm having a great time on this podcast um, and I really appreciate the invitation and to be able to have questions coming straight from your listeners um, is really the icing on the cake. Um, You know, storefront vacancies is not just a loss of sales tax revenue. It it is damaging to our community's morale. You know, it's one thing to get our head around that retail is changing. We certainly know Amazon and what its impact is doing, but so we can kind of get our head around that. But. The thing that we are really also challenged with is when we have landlords with mixed intentions. And in some instances, that can be a a challenge on its own, never mind the overall business environment. But I do think that we can be more proactive in addressing some of these problematic landlords. Um, I've asked staff to try to work on solutions that remove the financial incentive for people to leave uh, storefronts vacant. In some cases, we know that um, rents get jacked up astronomically overnight, that sort of like pretty much kick people out. And then it's like, what are you doing with the property? Oh, it's nothing. Okay. So we got issues like that. But then you have the higher profile stuff, the bigger spaces that get into more, you know, corporate sort of type issues. And Our staff is working really hard to fill some of those high profile vacancies. And it's not easy, but I do feel like we will eventually have some good outcomes. So for example, what am I doing about it? Well, I have advocated for staff. You know, I've consistently asking the question, do we have enough resources dedicated to economic development? What is the outreach to big national retailers that might be able to fill the carton spot? And for example, one thing that is being done now that I feel good about my role in initiating is we are doing a study that we can pitch to retailer X. I cannot name the retailer. But we pitch to retailer X, what is the impact on your business? If you put a location at means Plaza, what would it potentially take away from your other locations? What would it add? And so that sort of analysis can help a retailer determine wow, there's a real opportunity to be at Edens Plaza. So that type of study is being worked on and pitched. And so we can only hope that these things will eventually succeed. But again, I just want to finish how I started. And the morale that comes from a storefront vacancy is really tough. Like I do think the community near the Treasure Island location at Ridge and and Lake is... I mean, I think that drives people crazy. You know, is the paper up? Is the paper down? What's going on in there? And of course, everybody wants it to be a grocery. Everybody wants Trader Joe's and it just doesn't meet their specifications. So that's sadly not going to happen. But like, I think people, it really bothers people when they drive by. So I do think that, you know, a lot of my message that I spoke about earlier around economic development also has to bring in addressing the storefront vacancies. The more that people see vitality and energy in in Wilmet, the more other businesses will want to be there. So once we can sort of turn the tide on it, you know, I do think that, you know, certain dominoes will, will fall into place. But I think there's also a difficult policy issue ahead of us. And that speaks a little bit to the Amazon thing that I raised earlier. Is is it possible we have too much retail space for what we can support? So that's not for me to decide or any of us. It's, I think we have a good path forward on that type of consideration. And that is the comprehensive plan. I wonder if your listeners are familiar with that, but we have an upcoming plan. We don't do these plans very often, but it's like a mega urban planning process by which, you know, we we probably do it once every 20, 25 years, you know, but in this version um, we may ultimately see that we have more commercial space than we can support. So, what do we do about it? Well, that might change the the you know our our understanding about what goes where. I do think we can be creative about this, and I would love your listeners to give me feedback on this. I am wondering about at Fourth and Linden, could we create a district for the arts? So, to the extent that we have many different goings ons in our village around the arts, theater, troops, music lessons, etc. What if we could corral them all into one area? What if we branded it, give new vitality to a neighborhood and see what we can do with it? So it's my way of, and again, it's a pie in the sky idea that may or may not ever stick. But my point is, is in addition to some of the X's and O's around you know, economic development, what element of creativity can we bring to it and make sure that, you know, all aspects of our village's vibrancy have a have a place here?
0: OK, uh, I have another question from Joel, who wants to know uh, about the minimum wage issue a few years ago where the previous president had accused citizens of um of boycotting businesses that were not, um, that um, were not like paying workers the, uh, the county minimum wage, and how he had like condemned those boycotts. And a lot of people were angry about that. Um, So were you a village trustee during this time?
1: Yes, yes, I was on the village board. Um, That was one of the most challenging issues before the board. I was the only trustee to support opting in to the Cook County ordinances on minimum wage and earned sick leave. So that took a lot of bumps and bruises for that. And ultimately my position prevailed with all trustees coming around eventually. I think, I don't recall a boycott though. What I do recall was uh, I know that there was like an honor roll that somebody created, but I'm not really sure how much that really took off. And that was sort of the opposite of a boycott. It was like highlighting businesses that, you know, really were all about like compensating their employees well, et cetera. So a different approach, but I wonder if that's what your listener was was kind of getting at. I do think though that the the issue was challenging. And you know, it brought out some of the best and some of the worst out of the community because, you know, I think everybody is, you know, has the same desire to have a a vibrant um, uh, downtown and 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 have residents, you know, feel supported, even if its low wage workers. But you know, things did get tested there. So that's definitely something I will always remember about um, my my term on the village board.
0: Okay. Um. All right. So I just have a few more kind of like final questions for me and then we can wrap it up. Sure. So Wilmette is celebrating its 150th anniversary in 2022. Looking back at the 16 years you've lived in Wilmet, what have you learned that will help you if you are elected as president?
1: Wow, that's a, that's a, I would like to put some deep thought into that, but Here I am on a podcast with you and I have to answer. Um, I've learned that one of the things I appreciate most about the village are its diverse neighborhoods. I don't know how much walking or biking you might do around the village, but if you really get into the four corners of our village, (laughs) and we are a large rectangle, um, and then all the different nooks and crannies within, you really see an amazing array of diverse neighborhoods, all with their own unique character. And there's something about that that I feel great pride about. And there's nothing like being a candidate for office and getting out and seeing all of those different neighborhoods. And you know that's one of the things that I think I will take away the most um, from um, my, my candidacy both four years ago and, and now, and I think about the essential character of our of our village is around its neighborhoods and increasingly and a more recent thing, our downtown. But that hasn't always been the case. It, you know, I just think that there's just something really special about the neighborhoods of, of West Wilnette. And I'm going to guess that, you know, this has evolved in really fascinating ways over the 150 years. So I guess that's those are my thoughts.
0: All right. So your slogan on the flyer that you've sent out to WellMet residents, I have it right here, says the name on the ballot will be mine, but the voice will be yours. How do you plan to incorporate the different voices and opinions of WellMet residents in your leadership?
1: Well, certainly I would continue what I've been doing for four years, which is always asking the community what it thinks. That engagement piece, you know, is really fundamental to that. And it's some of the best interaction that I have. Something that I would want your listeners to know is when you put out a newsletter like that, you know, and anyone can join at any time, it, it is not your little bubble of friends who all agree with you. And so every time I hit send, well, quite honestly, it's, it's terrifying because you just never know what you get back. But the exchange is what really matters. And what I find is, and I find it to be a compliment of just it makes me feel so good when somebody says, okay, I may not agree with you on that, but I support you anyway. You know, I like how you do things. And that is such a compliment because, one, we're never all going to agree on everything. The civil discourse is what's important. But when somebody feels like that they, they know you and trust you, you can overcome not having to be lockstep on every issue. And I think that is a key qualification to serve as Village President, that I've got the backing from people from all neighborhoods of the Village, all points of view, people who are bought into the proposition that they have a voice at Village Hall. And so that's why I frame it that the name on the ballot will be mine, but the voice will be yours, and together, we can write the next chapter at Village Hall. It's a together thing, and I do think that that message of unity, that message of we're stronger when everyone feels that like they have some stakeholding, they have a voice at Village Hall. I think that's what's going to win this election, and it just is really exciting. And so I'm um, I'm really glad that you have my my campaign uh, flyer there because um, I feel like that message really is resonating.
0: Um, okay, so my final question of the evening is um, just kind of in general, why do you think that well residents should vote for you?
1: I do think that it comes down to this. We have a well run village. We have excellent staff doing excellent work. So what exactly are people wanting from their elected leadership? And I do think that a key piece of it is people are looking for someone with empathic and authentic leadership, someone with both the hard skills and the soft skills that can take the village to its next level. I think they want somebody that's engaged with the community I think they want someone who can bring the community's priorities to the village board. And I think they want the village to be a warmer and a more welcoming place to its current residents, to its guests, and paving the way to its future residents. And so I do think that people recognize we're a well-run village. There's so much to like about living here. I know I love living here, but for all that being said, there's this next level that we can achieve, that we haven't quite got to the point where we're all rowing the boat the same direction. And we can get there and reach our fullest potential. So I think my candidacy is about perfecting our village and taking us to that next level. And so I do think that people are recognizing that. And I think that's why people should vote for me. And I really do appreciate people, you know, being engaged. And so uh, that's how I'd like to to finish my pitch with you, Casey.
0: All right. Well, thank you, everybody. This has been Village Presidential Candidate Joel Kurzman. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you all for listening, whether it's through Spotify, Anchor, or WNTH 88.1. Remember, there's multiple sides to every issue, and it's always interesting to talk to people with different perspectives. I'm Casey Ritahi. Stay political.